0: Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, West. you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. show.
1: All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt starts now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for March 7th in the year of our Lord, two thousand. 22. This is our one of two and our goal always to protect life, liberty and property and to promote God, family and country on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed. We use the blueprint for liberty, the supreme law, of the land, the constitution for the United States of America. That is our guide. And absolutely, we're convinced the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers. One of the great peaceful restorative solutions we have at our fingertips. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you're all doing absolutely fantastic. Uh, by the way, we were not live on Saturday. Took a little break with my family. We were out of town celebrating birthdays. It's kind of a birthday month for the Bushman household. My wife had a birthday. My daughter had a birthday. My grandson had a birthday. It was just birthdays everywhere, but it was fantastic. Spent some time together with loved ones and really enjoyed each other's company. And what a blessing that is. It all It is all about God, family, and country, that's for sure. nope all right back with you live ladies and gentlemen sam bushman on your radio i don't know what's going on technical problems everywhere just start the week out right that's how it usually works out right nothing but difficulties to start out the week and then hopefully as time goes on as you move towards thank heavens it's friday hopefully things get a little better right anyway we were not live on saturday quick took a quick break with family But Friday, we were indeed live, and uh, we talked to Chris Carlson. Without God, we can never win. With God, we can never lose. The battle for liberty is the Lord's, but we need to be engaged in the fight and stand up for all things liberty. We also had on our guest, Mr. Sasha Aldikoff, and uh, he's with Center Stage Performing Arts. That's Center Stage Performing Arts Studio. And at CenterStageUtah.com to learn more about Sasha's uh, dance studio. They're going to be having a uh, <clears throat> big event coming up, a fundraiser tomorrow, from what I understand. So our prayers are with them that they can raise the money for these dancers. But Sasha and his wife, Cheyenne, are accomplished world champion ballroom dancers. Originally, Sasha's from the Don- Dantas region of the Ukraine, I guess is how you say it. His parents still live there, and they're experiencing much of the war from their home. His father's Russian. His mother's Ukrainian. And uh, he provided some great insight about what's going on over there in the war and etc. What is the war between Ukraine and Russia really about is the question. He wasn't quite sure, and neither are we. And I submit to you, neither is the United States and or NATO. Okay, we're in our over our heads. We're in where we don't belong. That's for sure. Anyway, we had a great show. Uh, with Sasha talking about that. And he mentioned that, you know what, a lot of the Ukrainians, especially if they live on the Russian border, they're very pro-Russian. There used to be a peaceful but yet fun rivalry between the two countries, and uh, things have changed. He doesn't know what it's all about. He just says, I haven't been over there. I've been in America. But it's interesting, Sasha's also uh, married to an American woman, so that means he's got a unique uh, situation. He understands the Ukraine. He understands Russia. His parents are from both countries. So he's got allegiances to both uh, from a familial point of view, right? He also has allegiances to America because he's married to an American bride. And uh, very strange indeed. He says there's more freedoms in America. He says, you know, believe it or not, there's more freedoms in the Ukraine and in Russia than you might think. They could do a lot of things. Uh, what he referred to is it's not so much freedom, but it's opportunity. That's an interesting dichotomy that I hadn't really thought much about that he brought up. He says, there's just a lot more opportunities in America. One from a financial point of view, but finances open up so many other opportunities. Anyway, great, great discussion uh, with our buddy from the Ukraine. All right, that was a great hour. Second hour on Friday, we had on, of course, Dr. Scott Bradley, who will be on the second hour with us today, Freedomrisingsun.com, And we talked about this incredible book called Tornado in a Junkyard, The Relentless Myth of Darwinism. And James Perloff tells his personal story of converting over time from atheism to Christianity and why and how he got converted, if you will. All things denote there is a Christ is primarily the point. We talked about wise men still seek Christ. Amen to that. We also talked about this incredible fact check article from USA Today. Headline says, George Washington's hefty bar tab days before the Constitution signing is indeed real, says USA Today. Now, the bar tab may be real. I don't deny uh, that. But I submit to you that I need to fact check the fact checkers. I provide a reality check on the fact checkers, ladies and gentlemen. They're fake fact checkers, and let me tell you why. (laughs) Because when they want to tell you a lie, all right, when they want to tell you something bad about George Washington, then they isolate this fact and they ignore all relevant context. When they want to then fact check us, if we point out a fact, what they want to do is they want to add context. So they might say that might be factual, but it's lacking context, or whatever they say. And a reality check is this. They're really trying to denigrate George Washington or all the founding fathers, for that matter. They want you to believe that somehow the founding fathers were just a bunch of goofy, no-good, you know. So George Washington, you know, made whiskey and sold whiskey from his, I don't know what you call it, farm there. And, you know, George is bad. He let a big old rip and bar tab happen there. And, and you know, wow, George, bad old George. But it isn't true. And let me tell you what I mean. The facts may be there in terms of, yes, there was a big party thrown, uh, that George Washington was involved in. George probably didn't even want to be at the party. He didn't even want to be the president of the United States. He didn't want to be away from Martha. He didn't want to be away from his farm, Martha being his wife. He didn't want any of those things, but he did it because of his love of freedom and love of his country. And he was there, and he might have let them have a party, but you know what? He took no salary when he was in office either. So you know what? When you look at it that way, you say, wow. So he jettisoned the salary for many years, but then he let them have a party. And, well, you could say, well, that was his only salary, let my people have a party there, let them know how much I appreciate them. And, yeah, they drank alcohol, and George wasn't maybe, you know, a promoter of it, but he didn't stop them either. And, you know, you take it all out of context. That isn't George Washington. If you think of that, oh, George Washington had a massive bar tab, shame on George, then you kind of think, oh, George is like all the other politicians, no difference. That is where, in my opinion, the out-of-context facts may manipulate reality into a lie. That's why I give a reality check, not even a fact check. I'm not debating that there was a party. I'm not debating that it was maybe even somewhat extravagant. But when you put that in context of what George really did for the country and how much he took from the country in return for his incredible service, you start to realize a different picture. When you realize that George Washington was not into alcohol, was not into late-night carousing, was not into womanizing, was not into any of those that you get a different picture. And if you go to Mount Vernon to this day, there is a George Washington's prayer for his country, and this prayer is read aloud each day at Mount Vernon's, they call it pub, uh, wreath-laying ceremony there. Every day they do it for the people that come. And when you realize this, it was a circular really sent to those around George. It was a kind of a prayer in his heart for his country. When you read that, you just go, wow, that isn't the man we're talking about, is it? No, you're right. That's the whole point that I'm making. Furthermore, when you look at George Washington's farewell address, between that prayer for his country and the farewell address, you begin to understand George Washington. George Washington was very unique for his time, and he never, never sought for power. And anytime time he had an opportunity to seize power, he rejected it, including the day he left office. He literally walked out of there as a lone man. He didn't have a gaggle of security hanging around. He didn't have all kinds of pomp and pretense uh, in his wake or anything like that. He merely walked down the street as a citizen delighted to be so, humbly reflecting on the people around him who came out into the streets to wish their president a man larger than life farewell. Was he larger than life? Was he more than a man? No, he was not. I'm going to say that again. No, he was not. We don't worship George Washington in any way, but we do acknowledge his unique, humble, God-fearing traits. Absolutely, and, and, and so the article in the USA Today, in my opinion, truly paints George in a dishonest, unfavorable light, and shame on those who put it like that. Just shame on them all, and that's a recap of the broadcast that took place on Friday. Saturday took a break for family. Today back live. In seconds, Lowell Nelson Campaign for Liberty.org will be with us. Uh, The first hour, got a bunch of incredible articles. Second hour, of course, Dr. Scott Bradley will be once again on your radio telling the tale of liberty. And oh, what a blessing that is. You know, he really got beat up by COVID, ladies and gentlemen, almost died, as did I. But Scott Bradley's situation was way worse than mine. He went into the hospital and they absolutely, with the government hospital mandated protocols, almost literally killed him. Insanity, I'll tell you that right now. But there you have it. All right, thanks for being alongside for the ride. I am Sam Bushman. We're talking about things that matter most, aren't we? We're talking about founding fathers. We're talking about the supreme law of the land. We're talking about America. We're talking about the sacred cause of liberty. We're talking about it all on your radio, right?
5: All right, back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Technical
1: difficulties plagued the broadcast this morning, but Lowell Nelson's with us. That's the great news. Welcome to the broadcast, Lowell.
6: Well, thank you for having me, Sam. It's good to be with you.
1: Sorry we didn't bring you on a little bit before. We uh, didn't get the cue. We were having a little bit of technical difficulties for some reason. I don't know what's going on this morning. Maybe they're trying to sabotage the broadcast, do you think? Yeah, it could be. (laughs) Yeah, they don't want anybody to get involved in the precinct caucuses, do they? No,
6: no, nothing important like that. Probably the most important political meeting every two years, Sam.
1: Amen to that. And even on odd years, ladies and gentlemen, still seriously important because that's sometimes when we make the biggest decisions that affect us for way more than two years, Lol.
6: (laughs) That's true. As in 2018, when we elected caucus uh, or precinct officers and uh, delegates in 2018, we had no idea that we might be serving for longer than two years, but everybody who... Was elected in 2018 because we didn't have caucuses in 2020 ended up serving a four-year term and um, of course those who are in the cause of liberty did so gladly uh, those who uh, were in it just for their preferred candidate they petered out they dropped out they went to a you know within uh, a year or two of their election and so anyway it's uh, it's been uh, a bit of a of a, a rough go but but you know, there are people, Sam, who don't want the caucuses uh, around. There are people who want to get rid of them. There are people uh, who who wanted uh, SB 54 in 2014, this signature pass, who want to undermine the, the caucus convention because they have more power in, without the caucus convention system. They don't like the check that it is on their power to have have uh, in in-person vetting by delegates elected to uh, choose the party's nominees. And so there's a movement afoot even today, Sam, even this week, even though we're having caucuses tomorrow night, I think there's a, a concerted uh, com, you know, malicious effort to, um, to torpedo the caucus system because there are some counties in the state that haven't done a very good job publicizing the caucuses, uh, a lot of people still don't know where their caucus tomorrow night is going to be held. And so it's like this, this, uh, there's just a few people in the party that are clinging to the, the caucus convention system who are trying, trying, doing their very, very best to get the word out to people uh, so that we have successful caucuses this year. Um, but uh, I'm telling you what, it's kind of an uphill battle in some areas of the state. But uh, bottom line, Sam, is the caucuses are uh, for the Republican Party anyway. Tomorrow night, March 8, 7 p.m., and you go to a website called PrecinctPortal.org to find the location of your caucus. That location again is PrecinctPortal.org. It will have you know you just enter your street address and city, and it'll tell you where your uh, caucus will be held. Sam uh, and, and we need we need everybody to attend their caucus all the liberty-minded people um, possible get elected as delegates either to your state and or your county convention and uh, do all you can to evangelize caucuses um, evangelizes virtues help people around you see its many benefits because this Sam really is an institution worth preserving Sam
1: It is beyond an institution worth preserving, Lowell. I I don't in any any way to not say it's not worth preserving. What I'm saying is I think it's way beyond that, and let me tell you why. Mm -hmm. If you start to take away the caucus system, ladies and gentlemen, in Utah, uh, other states I know don't have this, so they're already missing a lot of the checks and balances that the founders intended. You lose the ability to really have dedicated people vet the candidates. The caucuses are all about vetting Candidates—they're all about getting a one-on-one or a Q&A or whatever you want to call it—interaction an interaction with uh, the candidates. And when you take this away, then you get people like Mitt Romney or other big bureaucrats with plenty of cash, plenty of money, plenty of uh, name recognition or whatever. And they just simply, you know, promote what they want to in the media, and the media becomes the prevention of vetting tool that they use to manipulate you and I. All we can get is scripted sound bites. All we can get is interviews by those who oftentimes prove they're in bed with the candidates. Oftentimes, we hear that they give questions, uh, say, in advance to these candidates so they can kind of craft a very uh, manipulated answer, etc. And that's kind of what we're seeing and what happens, ladies and gentlemen. And when you circumvent these uh, caucus meetings, when you circumvent this true, honest, open vetting process by several people that are delegates, so not just one or two media people, but several people that are delegates that are from the grassroots, that truly understand the issues and truly have very appropriate probing detailed questions, uh, catching candidates a little bit off guard, not that we want to attack them, but you're not going to get some you know, special crafted answer or specially worded thought about answer. You're going to get the candidates raw and real of who they are, what they stand for, what they don't, what they really know, what they don't. In other words, how much candidate do you know about the Constitution? If you've got a staff that can craft a bunch of answers, you can sound very constitutional with a very carefully worded but yet, you know what? That doesn't let you know what the candidate knows at all. That also doesn't let you know with a very worded, crafty statement where they really stand on issues. That doesn't really – okay, so this vetting process is vital, uh, and especially when it comes to the primaries because, ladies and gentlemen, that's who downstream most people are going to end up being able to vote for. You get choice A and choice B or whatever you want to say or maybe A, whatever – But before the primaries, there's a lot of those candidates that may never see the light of day. But yet a great caucus system, a great vetting by the delegates sent there. Remember, this is a representative republic, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a democracy. You don't just get there and the the person with the most votes wins. This is a situation where you go and you say to these delegates, hey, I want you to vet these candidates for me. I don't have time to do it. Every American doesn't have time to really dig in. But I'm going to elect somebody as a delegate who will do that job for me and really pay attention and really focus and really give it the time that this deserves. Anyway, I don't mean to go off forever uh, on this, Lowell, but I do want to sound off some because we cannot ignore this. This is critical. And I'm telling you, the face of Utah will change to a liberal bastion of bureaucrat politicians if we allow this to occur, sir.
6: Well said, Sam. Not only do you want delegates to take the time to vet the candidates, but – with a limited number of delegates, meaning, uh, you know, a reasonable number. Uh, In the case of a congressional candidate, the number is 1,000. In the case of a statewide candidate, the number is 4,000. In the case of uh, maybe a House representative or a state senator, the number is several hundred uh, delegates who get to vet the candidate and make the uh, choice as to who the party nominee is going to be And what that does, it allows the candidates also to campaign specifically to those delegates. If you have, you know, a population of of a million uh, 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 registered voters in the state, I think we have pretty close to a million registered voters in the state of Utah, and you expect a candidate to campaign to that many uh, delegates, then the only way they can possibly reach them is through uh, print media, paid media, TV advertising, yard signs, um, U.S. mail uh, postage—I mean, yeah, you know—and the the list goes on and on, which are expensive routes to take. So, really, it it really becomes a rich man's ball game in that environment. Whereas, as as Sam, as you have said, um, uh, vetting—you know—using delegates who are commissioned to vet the candidates, then you have a reasonable number of of delegates to campaign to, and those delegates have a reasonable length of time to vet the candidate. They see them in person, they see them in small group uh, chats, they see them in uh, debates, and they see them giving a speech, they see them in all venues. And so they come to understand, and they, they can ask their own questions. They don't have to rely on what a newspaper reporter asks the candidate. And because of that, then these delegates are in much more powerful, knowledgeable, informed uh, position to cast their votes on who really will uh, adhere to the Constitution, who will uphold the party platform, uh, who will um, follow the Constitution and, uh, you know, follow the proper
1: Ladies and gentlemen, quick pause. I am Sam Bushman. This is indeed the one and only Liberty Roundtable live with Lowell Nelson, CampaignForLiberty.org on your radio.
0: Exposing corruption. Informing citizens. Pursuing liberty. You're listening to Liberty News Radio.
2: USA Radio News with Lance Pride.
7: After two ceasefires were broken by Russia in recent days with bombs hitting the fleeing civilians, another ceasefire has been announced Monday in Ukraine. Previous such measures have fallen apart, and Moscow's armed forces continued to pummel some Ukrainian cities with rockets even after the announcement this morning. The official global death toll from COVID-19 surpassed 6 million people on Monday. The milestone recorded by John Hopkins University is the latest tragic reminder of the unrelenting nature of this pandemic. Hundreds of truckers in a giant convoy have spent the past week transversing the country, and they're now heading to D.C. to protest COVID-19 masks and vaccine mandates. Jim, a tractor-trailer driver from Colorado on WUSA 9, says he wants his voice to be heard.
8: The main thing is, for me, is for them to take off the Emergency Act, because I feel like as long as that's on, they can do just about whatever they want.
7: USA Radio News. Okay, so we got the chorizo dumplings, the cucumber
5: empanadas. Sara's food truck is popping off.
7: Come on, guys, let's pick it up. All but right? if
5: well, she let's let's doesn't find a new fly. chef, her truck will be stuck.
7: Carl quit this morning, so Jessica, I'm going to need you on the fryer.
5: Indeed can help her hire great people fast.
7: I need Indeed.
5: Indeed you do. Instant Match instantly connects you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your sponsored job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply.
4: You've heard us talk
7: about the luxurious Giza Dream sheets for MyPillow. Well, now they're on sale 60% off as low as $39.99. Lots of other overstock items and a free copy of Mike Lindell's book, What Are the Odds from Crack Addict to CEO? With any purchase, but you've got to use my promo code USA. Go to mypillow.com, the radio listener square. Use my promo code USA or call 1 800. 9518175 Democrat House Speaker Nancy Pelosi from California in a letter Sunday said that the House is working on legislation to isolate Russia including a ban on Russian oil and energy. It should be noted the Biden administration continues to pay Russia for imported oil. Pelosi said their bill would ban the import of Russian oil and energy products into the United States, repeal normal trade relations with Russia and Belarus, and take the first step to deny Russia access to the World Trade Organization. Social media TikTok announced Sunday that users in Russia will not be permitted to post content on the platform in response to Russia's new social media-related policies, a.k.a. Russia's new fake news law. The threat of jail time by President Putin has put freedom of speech on notice. Conventional wisdom would have us believe that the journey to a long, healthy life begins with 10,000 steps every day. The optimal number is probably closer to 6,000 steps per day for those near 60 years of age. The study was done by the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. USA Radio News.
1: Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen. Lowell Nelson with me, CampaignForLiberty.org. Please understand, precinct caucuses are tomorrow in the Olympic state of Utah. Primary voting all over the country, I might add. Pay attention to your state and get involved with you, please. PrecinctPortal.org is where you go if you want to find out where your precincts are for tomorrow night. Ladies and gentlemen, thought would bring that to your attention. Utah Legislature, HB11. Prohibits boys from all female sports teams, but, dot, 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 lol.
6: (laughs) Well, earlier in the week, Sam, this bill, as written, would have permitted boys to play on all female sports teams if they were permitted to do so by a a commission, especially formed and designated, to consider all such requests, you know, from boys who want to identify as girls. Well, we lobbied the legislature very hard to defeat this bill. Even though it had passed the House earlier, we lobbied the Senate very hard to uh, defeat this bill. And well, when it reached the Senate floor, the public outcry was so great that the Senate was not inclined to approve it, right? So we thought, okay, finally, we're going to have some success here. However, the bill was amended, Sam, it was amended to prohibit boys from playing on all female sports teams, unless that prohibition is "quote" held invalid by a final decision of a court of competent jurisdiction. "End quote." Well, with that amendment, most of the so opposition. So let me stop you there,
1: though. And put all yep. the authority in the hands of a few robed bureaucrat thugs. In my opinion, exactly. disaster.
6: Exactly, Sam but with that amendment most of the opposition to the bill evaporated the senate approved the bill and the house concurred with that amendment and it now sits, it's now going to the governor's desk now turns out that governor cox says he intends to veto this bill and uh so there's a lot of uh people who are emailing and contacting the governor's office begging him to sign the bill now To me, Sam, this is now an ugly bill. This is neither a good bill nor a bad bill, but it is what I call an ugly bill. It's ugly for the very reason you said so. Well, it's good that it it, it does uh, two things. Number one, it gives the definition of sex. So uh, if sex is defined as, quote, the biological physical condition of being male or female determined by an individual's genetics and anatomy at birth, end of quote. So that's one good thing it does. The second good thing it does is it prohibits boys from playing on all female sports teams. But a bad thing it does is, is that caveat that we mentioned, Unless that prohibition is held invalid by a final decision of a court of competent jurisdiction. And so you hit the nail right on the head, Sam, because I can, I would bet, you know, probably a hundred bucks, even though I'm not a gambling man, that uh, down the road, a few years down the road, maybe this year, maybe next year, who knows, there will be a federal judge who will declare, he will opine, you know, he'll render an opinion he will say that this law is not constitutional. He'll, he'll say, you can't, you can't keep a trans uh, from playing on the all-female sports teams. And at that point, Sam, this law itself acquiesces to the decision of a court of competent jurisdiction. And so we will acquiesce, the state of Utah will acquiesce to this opinion by some federal judge and uh, then voila we will have uh, boys playing on all female sports teams right here in the state of utah now it's going to be my position i'm going to argue that the states never gave the general government power or authority to determine the composition of high school sports teams in the state you know they may have done that in in the District of Columbia, that 10 square miles area, but they did not give such authority to the general government. Uh, And so I am going to argue that the, the Federal Circuit Court or the Federal District Court or even the U.S. Supreme Court, I'm going to argue they do not have authority to tell the state of Utah or any other state for that matter how they can compose teams, sports teams within the state that is entirely the purview of the state of utah or of any other state in the union um and so but but let's be clear lull
1: let's be clear Mm -hmm. even though you can say that this is state not federal and to some degree there's truth to that at the same time the only reason we have government involved in education is because we backed the 10th plank of the Communist Manifesto, which calls for compulsory education. If we Uh didn't steal money from our neighbors, all in the name of, quote, government school, uh, we wouldn't be discussing this at a government level at all. Uh And that's really where the rub is. You get one insult by government, adds to injury by government. Again, don't take my money. Don't steal my money at the point of a figurative government gun. Don't mandate that I participate in government schools for my children and or with my dollars or anything else. This problem is a government-driven problem. Okay, and why are we going to the government to ask permission whether, you know, kids should be on sports teams, male or female or whatever else in the first place? Look, why are we giving the government that authority over entertainment and sports and athleticism or whatever? Okay, this is not even the realm of government at all. But, see, we're forced into this venue because we backed compulsory education. The Republicans promised that abolish the education department. They never did. Now you've got school boards calling parents terrorists over these very issues, Lowell.
6: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Sam. The real answer is to get our children out of these government propaganda camps called schools and let the thing implode on itself. You know, and go, go back to, to home-based schools and to, to cooperative schools, uh, private schools, the, the schools where the parents actually dictate what occurs in that school. That's how you're going to guarantee a good, solid education for our children, uh, not by subscribing to the government school model uh, system that we have in place today. I totally agree with you, Sam, and and and, and we've explained why this bill is now an ugly bill. Um, I am not going to lobby the governor one way or the other. Uh, My senator uh, voted against the bill, and I'm I'm glad that he did, uh, because it's, it's an ugly bill. It has a poison pill in it. It will turn this state upside down the very moment there is a federal judge who rules that that law is unconstitutional, Just like uh, Judge Robert Shelby did in December of 2013 when he ruled that the language in our Constitution that defined marriage between one man and one woman was somehow unconstitutional. The very words that our state put into our Constitution, he said, were unconstitutional. And what did we do? The state rolled over, we acquiesced, we backed down, and we now accept same-sex marriage in the state of Utah. It'll happen for trans in in female sports, and we will have lose the, the basic protections that we currently have for girls' sports in Utah. It'll just become co-ed and male. There won't be any, any room for, for girls' sports in Utah. That'll be a sad day, but that's what we get for subscribing to our public education system, for begging the government to help us educate our children. That was a no-no. We took the bait we shouldn't have, Sam.
1: And adding insult to injury is kind of the level that we're at in America now. It's one thing that you did this wrong, but now you're paying for it multiple times, multiple ways. Okay, same thing is true with this next article from Ron Paul. Okay, headline says, it all comes back to NATO. Ron Paul. Now, Ron Paul believes just as strongly today as he did back in his 2008 floor of the House speech that, you know what? We should jettison NATO big time. NATO should be disbanded, not expanded. We could not agree more with this if we tried. But again, this is where we add insult injury. So the Constitution calls for Congress to have authority over declaring war and or what actions we take short of war. In other words, Congress, the House of Representatives specifically, was tasked with, in the supreme law of the land, deciding how we ought to interact with other countries when things aren't going well. All right and the reason why the house was selected for this is because it put it in the hands of the most people the house was not only the greatest number on the general level but it was also closest to the people where our influence could be felt through our house members they could reach out to us we could give them guidance okay most of the nation isn't for going to war Uh, but yet we've changed this we've joined international groups that now have greater say than Congress, creating a train wreck for the checks and balances that American founders fought so hard for. When we get back, we'll have Lowell jump in on this one and talk about this, but I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's disaster, this Russia and Ukraine battle It's disaster when we're over 130 nations militarily involved, but you know what? We need to get out of NATO yesterday because it's challenging the checks and balances of our Congress.
9: Or I can ask them to drop it right into mommy and daddy's bank account. Because we're a UPMA member family. Find out more at upma.org. That's upma.org.
1: It all comes back to NATO, ladies and gentlemen. Ron Paul with an incredible column. But you know what? I submit to you that it's insult added to injury, if you will. Because you know what? (laughs) We should realize Congress has responsibility in these matters. The House, in specific, says the supreme law of our land not some global group called NATO, lull. Well,
6: and by the way, Sam, I believe that uh, this treaty, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization that we joined in 1949, I believe that that's an unconstitutional body. And just like uh, whenever the federal government passes a law, when, when Congress passes a law that's not constitutional or when the president issues an executive order that falls outside, lies outside the bounds of the Constitution, I believe it should be nullified, Sam. I believe it's unconstitutional. You know, people say that, well, if the Senate ratifies the treaty or some agreement of the president, the president enters into a a treaty and the Senate ratifies it, then that becomes the supreme law of the land. I don't agree, Sam. I don't agree that uh, something foreign or alien to our Constitution can live with, in concert with, the Constitution of the United States. I believe it's unconstitutional. And it must be nullified, just like a federal law that's unconstitutional should be and must be nullified. So I, I don't believe that we are obligated in any way to prop up NATO. I think the U.S. should get out of NATO and and uh, and, and just let it implode. It will implode if we would quit supporting, if we quit tossing money into it, then, then it would just go away, Sam. That's how I feel. Um, The the NATO is is an organization, should never have been created in the first place. It should have been disbanded after World War II in 19... It should not even have been created in 1949. Let's remember what Robert, uh, Senator Robert Taft said about uh, NATO back in 1949 when the U.S. Senate initially voted on NATO. He said, the treaty... Is part of a much larger program by which we arm all these nations against Russia. A joint military program has already been made. It thus becomes an offensive and defensive military alliance against Russia. I believe our foreign policy should be aimed primarily at, now listen to these words, Sam, security and peace. Boy, doesn't that ever sound like George Washington. And continuing, he says, and I believe such an alliance Speaking again of NATO, he says, I believe such an alliance is more likely to produce war than peace. If we undertake to arm all the nations around Russia, and Russia sees itself ringed about gradually by so-called defensive arms from Norway and Denmark and Turkey and Greece, it may form a different opinion. In other words, Russia may form a different opinion about NATO. It may decide that the arming of Western Europe, regardless of its present purpose, looks to be, to be an attack upon Russia. Its views may be unreasonable, and I think it is, but from the Russian standpoint, it may not seem unreasonable. They may well decide that if war is the certain result, that war might better occur now rather than after the arming of Europe is completed." End of quote. That was Senator Robert Taft um, in 1949. And so we see played out here today, Sam, this week and last, Russia's response to the expansion, the eastward expansion of NATO. And I understand how Russia feels. I, I, you know, I would do the same thing, and I think you, and you would do the same thing too, Sam, if you were sitting in the driver's seat in Russia and you saw country after country joining NATO and being armed by the United States and the U.K., with military nuclear weapons getting closer and closer to your borders, to your people, to your sovereign territory, you know that's how you'd respond too, and that's the point that Walter Block made in his column, talking about what, how would we feel here in the United States if Brazil formed a country, I mean formed a treaty organization called Cato, the Central American Treaty Organization, and began enrolling all of the Central American countries into Cato, you know, Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, Belize, Chile, and Argentina, for good measure. And then what if they went into Mexico and deposed the democratically elected leader of Mexico and installed a sock puppet dictator there, just like the U.S. did in Ukraine in 2014, a a regime that's friendly to the U.S., the Western power. And then what if they threaten to arm that country, Mexico, with weapons of mass destruction? How are you going to feel about that now, citizen of the United States? You are now totally ringed about with countries who are, are uh, you know, arming themselves with nuclear weapons, and they surround you. What's going to be your response? In other words, Sam, let's put ourselves in the other guy's shoes, because that's a good exercise. It helps to understand. Helps us to understand how they feel. Helps us to understand why they're doing what they're doing, Sam. I, I just think it's such a good, healthy exercise, Sam.
1: Yes, it is, and yes, Putin was wrong to invade Ukraine. We're not defending that at all, ladies and gentlemen. He was wrong to invade Ukraine. But understand that war is a horror. War is the health of a state. Innocent lives will be shed no matter how, quote, careful The warring sides are. However, ladies and gentlemen, where lies the primary blame for this? The answer is this unhappy state is really, could be laid at the feet of Russia, I'm sorry, of the United States and NATO. We're the ones driving the money. We're the ones driving the organization. We're the ones providing the leadership, and we ought not, because it's supplanting congressional authority and uh, obligation, duty, if you will. Uh, U.S. Representative Thomas Massey makes a statement. Uh, regarding Ukraine that's relevant. Lowell?
6: I'll I'll quote just the second sentence of this statement. The statement's too long to cover in the limited time we have left. He says the resolution, he's talking about this resolution that passed the House of Representatives last week where the United States gave a ton of support to Ukraine, the country of Ukraine. He said, quote, the resolution contains an open-ended call for additional and immediate defensive security assistance. This term is so broad that it could include American boots on the ground or, as some of my colleagues have already requested, US enforcement of a no-fly zone." End of quote. I'll just go that far, Sam. But in other words, it's, uh, so, it's, such, it's such ambiguous language, open-ended language. You could drive a truck through this. And buy, uh, believe you me, Congress will drive a truck through this, in the coming days, months, weeks, and years, uh, they will drive a truck through this, they will commit U.S. forces, this this will spin out of control into uh, uh, the Third World War, you know, if uh, if cooler heads don't prevail. And that's why Thomas Massey voted against this resolution. And you look at the mass media around, Sam, look at what everybody is saying. People are jumping on board. They can't get in line to support Ukraine fast enough. But Sam, what was Ukraine doing to the Donbass region for the past eight years? What have they been doing? Well, you know from your discussion with Sasha last week that the Ukrainian army has been shelling, killing, maiming, hurting people in the Donbass region, the southeastern region of Ukraine, for the past eight years using weapons and munitions that we have sold to ukraine why are we doing this why did we um why did we support saudi arabia in the genocide that they were committing in yemen
1: well because we're deceived by the warring media in bed with international groups that betray congress's authority and power and because the war machine is at the helm with leaders who do its bidding, ladies and gentlemen. We are involved in unjust, immoral wars. We pretend we have the moral high ground, but the truth is we're involved in unjust, murderous wars that flat out need to stop. What about them 600,000 barrels of oil, asks Eric Peters in an incredible column as well, Lowell.
6: He points out that America currently imports about 600,000 barrels of oil From Russia every day. And parenthetically, let me also mention that Europe depends on Russia for 46% of its gas. That is almost half of the gas that powers Europe, all of Europe, comes from Russia. Okay, so Eric Peters is saying that these 600,000 barrels of oil that we import to the United States every day, well, It was only about a year ago that America did not need any oil from Russia, right? About a year and a half ago, America was on the verge of being a net exporter of oil, perhaps to places like Russia. But what happened? Well, Biden shut down the Keystone Pipeline, among other things. And so now, where are we? We're now importing 600,000 barrels of oil from Russia every day. Well, Sam, let me ask you a question. What's going to happen to gasoline prices if and when Russia stops selling oil to the United States?
1: Well, it's going to skyrocket, and the problem is uh, these times take time to crank up, so even if we wanted to pivot, uh, we couldn't, not in a timely manner. So it would be absolutely out of control. In fact, it may even paralyze the nation, Lowell.
6: Exactly right. Uh, You hit the nail on the head again because... The prices of gas for us would skyrocket, they're already high, but they would double and triple uh, over, you know, you know if, if Russia says, okay, you, you put embargo on us, you threaten other countries uh, who, who do business with us, we are, we're, we're going to stop all of the oil exports from us to you and then and, and that would leave us uh, 600,000 barrels of oil short every day. And you know, how long is it going to take us to, to, to get the Keystone Pipeline up and running? Well, months and months, ladies and gentlemen. And it's going to hurt Europe, too, because half of their energy comes from Russia. And so what if Russia says, OK, we're not going to sell Europe uh, any of our oil anymore? And so this is the natural outcome of this act of war, which you know, in which the U.S. is engaged. We are the ones, the U.S. regime is the one pushing NATO eastward toward Russia. The U.S.-NATO alliance is the one causing these problems, and uh, instead of having an outpouring of the citizenry in behalf of Ukraine, we should have an outpouring of the citizenry decrying the, this, this horrendous action by the U.S. and by NATO, in expanding eastward toward Russia.
1: Sam? We should have an outcry that says, don't pick sides, don't go to war. Don't pick sides, don't go to war. Don't pick sides, it's an unjust war. Stay out of it, ladies and gentlemen. That's the valor that we should have. And that should be vested in Congress, in the House of Representatives. And we the people should have influence over our Congress critters to make sure that they understand how we feel on this serious matter. And then as our representatives, they should take appropriate action to de-escalate to stay out of it, to remain neutral, to wisely say, hey, we're going to provide this great economic engine over here. Man, you ought to join us, folks, and quit fighting. You ought to participate in the free enterprise system. That's how people prosper. That's how stability and prosperity occurs. And we should simply be the light on the hill and set the example. That's our prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Lowell Nelson, thank you so much, sir. We're born." We're cross-borders. Armies do not, Sam. You're welcome. Amen, amen to that. There he goes. Lowell Nelson, Liberty.org doing a phenomenal job on your radio every week. A big shout-out to the folks at Campaign for Liberty all over the country doing a phenomenal job and their counterpart, Young Americans for Liberty, uh, all across college campuses doing a phenomenal job. Thanks for being alongside for the ride. Hour one of the can, hour two coming up. God Save the Republic.
0: Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West, you are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. Show.
1: All right, happy to have you along, my fellow Americans, Sam Bushman, live on your radio. Hard-hitting news that I wish to use no doubt continues now. This my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for... March the 7th, in the year of our Lord, 2022, this is our two of two, the goal always, as you know, to preserve the nation. Scott Bradley will be with us in seconds, Freedom's Rising Sun.com. Our goal, ladies and gentlemen, is to use the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the Founding Fathers, one of the great peaceful, restorative solutions we still have at our fingertips. We reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth using the Supreme. Law of the Land, the Constitution for the United States of America, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the broadcast. Hope you're all doing absolutely fantastic. Dr. Bradley, welcome back, sir.
10: Well, thank you very much. I hope everyone's beginning their new work week in a uh, delightful way and that it's successful and pleasant for everybody. So glad to be here.
1: All right. Two topics I want to discuss today. Obviously, we'll go far afield from those topics, as we always do. (laughs) But nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, I want to talk about this headline. Ammo Inc., that's a company in Scottsdale, Arizona, announced that it will send a million, one million bullets free of charge to the Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen. Now, it's hard to know what to think about this because, hey, I guess a private company can do whatever they want to. But in America, isn't it interesting how uh, ammo over the last many, many years has been very hard to get a hold of? The government can get a hold of ammo, but the rest of us struggle. It's really expensive. There's shortages everywhere. But yet they get a million rounds just to add a whim. Send to the Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen, picking sides in an unjust war. Uh, This is disaster, Dr. Bradley. Now, I know a free company should be able to do what they want to to some degree. Uh, But this is all manipulated by government propaganda in bed with media propaganda. We're fueling an unjust war, sir.
10: Well, um, it's not like it's never happened before. I mean, uh, I'm not (laughs) justifying it. Of course. I'm not justifying it. But uh, you you think about this for a a moment or two. I mean, think about the Abraham Lincoln Brigade that went to um, Spain in the 1930s to fight on the communists of the, on the side of the communists attempting to uh, overthrow the uh, government of, of Spain. Now, of course, that, that Spain uh, civil war was a warm-up to World War II. The fascists on one side and the communists on the other, and everybody got to test out their new tanks and everything else like that. But the United States um, individuals volunteered as the Abraham Lincoln Brigade and went over there and fought on the side of the communists. And if you look back at the Lusitania, uh, back in uh, 1915, so we're talking 107 years ago, uh, the Lusitania was a passenger, um, basically a ship. It was like one of these cruise ships, kind of like you see advertised all over now, trying to gain a toehold after the big uh, shutdown. At any rate, um, there were ammunition um, included in in the manifest which is absolutely against international law, to put that on a, on a passenger ship. The The Germans knew about it. The Germans said, hey, people, don't go on that. This is a target for their, for sea boats, their U-boats. Anyway, it was a flagrant attempt to bring the United States into the World War One on the side of, of France and England. And uh, the story is absolutely criminal, what absolutely happened. Anyway... There's examples we could give where things like this have happened. And and you bring up a very good point. The ammunition has been um, extremely scarce. I have a small ammunition company that, I mean, I don't create it, but I you know, basically distribute it. And uh, I got a call here a while back from some people that wanted to buy a substantial amount of ammunition. So I, I looked at my price sheet. I thought, oh, well, I'm a little bit out of date. So I called the manufacturer and I said, you know, I'd I'd like an updated sheet. They said, sure, we'll send that to you. But if you ordered today, the soonest we could get you ammunition is one year. So I'm a, I'm a small potatoes kind of guy. I mean, just had, you know, it, it, to them, it would have been nothing. But I do have some contacts um, up in the Pacific Northwest, where they are manufacturing large amount of ammunition. And there's no way in the world they claim they're able to keep up with it. So the demand on it so this is this is interesting and by the way the the size of the shipment out of Arizona is not far away from what was on the Lusitania in terms of the uh, uh, round count so yeah this this is absolutely astounding now we could easily take this off into a discussion about the Ukrainian war and the complexities of that and how um, you know you can almost assure yourself I mean if they have a press conference anywhere in the federal government, you know it's a pack of lies. I mean, that's about where I've gotten to in the credibility. If there's anything comes out about a, you know, a health mandate or whatever, you know, it's a pack of lies. You know, it's, uh, the uh, so-called vaccines, safe and effective—all those kinds of things—no credibility. FDA, CDC, National Institute of Health, World Health Organization—all of those things, zero credibility. So when. Um, When we have an announcement, it's not an announcement. Again, it's an agenda. It's not an agenda. It's not a storyline. It is a script. It is a script that is being played out. In fact, in Utah, I don't know if you'd noticed this, Sam, but uh, the governor of the state of Utah has been flying the Ukrainian flag over the state capitol. And and it's like. Yeah, and shame on him for doing it, too. Absolutely. I, I mean, he has a knack for doing the wrong thing. I mean he's going to veto a bill we can take all these on a lot of tangents. he's going to veto a bill that prevents boys from competing against girls in high school sports and uh, he has a knack for doing the wrong thing. He creates mandates enforces law that are that have never been created and unconstitutional elicits punishments you know judge jury and hangman as a governor, which is the very definition of tyranny tyranny as as Madison said in federalist forty seven i mean uh a thing after thing educational things <laughs> it's just a knack our governor really you say whose side are you on but at any rate so the uh, the script that is being used right now is Luci uh, i mean uh ukraine good russia bad it's much more complex than that and and just think for what i'm going to just touch on one very very brief aspect of it we can discuss it at length if you want, but I don't want to you know, derail your whole program. But think for a moment back, uh, most people don't even know about the Monroe Doctrine anymore, but basically one aspect of that was what if the foreign powers were setting up bastions, forts, arsenals, whatever you want to call them, that could ultimately and finally be used against the United States in our surrounding uh, territories, not U.S. territories, even, but uh, foreign nations, and if foreign powers from Europe were going to come over there and set up a, a bristling arsenal of uh, arms and ammunition and military personnel and so on and so forth, uh, these guys, you know, like uh, James Madison and James Monroe and John Quincy Adams, that, that put together the the Monroe Doctrine, said, no, no, we we reserve the right to uh, to defend and against that kind of stuff okay now there's more to it than just that I just explained but the Monroe Doctrine was something that's been around I mean we're talking a couple hundred years okay and and so here we have NATO encroaching from the west closer and closer to the Russian border you look notice that you know you bring Poland in I mean uh, you all the border states that have joined the the NATO thing and the NATO Alliance article 5 states that if any one of these countries ever gets into trouble with anybody else, the whole NATO alliance is brought brings their full force uh, military uh, influence and everything else like that uh, against the person that they bumped into. And, and so here we have the United States uh, is, keeps saying, oh, no, Ukraine's not in. Well, they've been trying for years to get Ukraine into NATO, but it hasn't happened, fortunately, because we would be at war with Russia right right this very instant if that were the, the case, and um, and I, I've said many times I think that that Russia is is playing a chess game here, saying, look, this is one aspect of it, not the full fullness of it, but one aspect of it, is the idea that if Ukraine will agree to maintain its neutrality and not become, a uh, a military armed camp uh facing russia and its border and and agreed not to pursue that i think he'd go home now there's not quite that simple because there's been a lot of depredations against ethnic russians uh, a, a genocidal kind of thing that's been going on for years and years there too uh, by the ukrainian government the ukrainian government is a bunch of oligarchs that are that are no more full, Well, in fact, I almost feel like Putin's got greater integrity than they do for a lot of reasons. But just this aspect of the Monroe Doctrine, if you think what we have done, we have sent military forces, personnel, equipment, I mean, you know, tanks, artillery. We've sent uh, F-35 jets to patrol the skies just west of the Russian border. We're zooming back and forth. The zoomies are there every day and the chance of bumping into somebody over there has increased dramatically, which if they bumped into somebody from the NATO alliance, automatically we are now committed, unconstitutionally I might add, to go to war with whoever bumped into them. And so what we've done is we've set up an armed camp against Russia on its western border, and according to our very own doctrine, that ain't good, and Russia's responding the way James Monroe would have.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about the Monroe Doctrine. 1823 came out. James Monroe brought it to Congress. Let's talk about the history a little bit. Let's talk about the summary and the significance thereof. We'll do it in seconds. This is Liberty Roundtable Live. This is a battle,
6: a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would enslave this country in darkness and between a media. It wants to present you with the truth. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. Ninety percent of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. The mission of the Epic Times is to chase the truth, to ground
1: all statements in fact
2: Read it. Know it. Share it. Freedomfactor.org.
8: Why don't we say to the government writ large that they have to spend a little bit less? Anybody ever had less money this year than you had last? Anybody better having a 1% pay cut? You deal with it. That's what government needs, a 1% pay cut. If you take a 1% pay cut across the board, you have more than enough money to actually pay for the disaster relief. But nobody's going to do that because they're fiscally irresponsible. Who are they? Republicans. Who are they? Democrats. Who are they? Virtually the whole body is careless and reckless with your money. So the money will not be offset by cuts anywhere. The money will be added to the debt, and there will be a day of reckoning. What's the day of reckoning? The day of reckoning may well be the collapse of the stock market. The day of reckoning may be the collapse of the dollar. When it comes, I can't tell you exactly but I can tell you it has happened repeatedly in history when countries ruin their currency.
1: Back with you live, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Scott Bradley with me. His collegiate series and mission in life to match, if you will, to preserve the nation. Where do you learn more? freedomsrisingsun.com. Not only can you learn more about his Collegiate series, you can also get weekly webinars, Q&As on the Constitution, and on how we ought to return there too, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about Ammo Week in Scottsdale, Arizona. Literally announced it'll send a million rounds of ammunition to Ukraine free of charge. Wow, how come we can't get ammunition in America for the average American? Very interesting manipulation of reality everywhere you look, ladies and gentlemen. The Monroe Doctrine is really critical in this discussion about the Ukraine and Russia. All right, let's give a kind of a history and a summary of the Monroe Doctrine, and then we can talk about a little bit more about the significance with Dr. Scott Bradley. The history is, hey, in 1823, James Monroe brought this forward. And the idea of the Monroe Doctrine, I'm just going to summarize it, so don't beat me up too bad, ladies and gentlemen, if I, if I don't have every tenant of it perfect, but here it is. Hey, we're going to, based on hemisphere, we're going to say we're not going to manipulate or tolerate any advancement of any principles that take over nations or compromise nations in their free autonomy their sovereignty in the Western Hemisphere we're not going to allow that because that eventually can affect America in a very negative way furthermore we're not going to cross that hemispheric reality either and we're not going to meddle in the foreign affairs of other sovereign nations uh, in the other hemisphere Uh, in short we're gonna protect our own interests even though it may not be the United States specifically being invaded, but we're not going to allow advancements in this reality. Now, violations of that reality is Cuba, for instance. What the heck? We got a communist nation flat out 90 miles off our shore, backed by, what, the opposite hemispheric interests, big time? Uh, we got all kinds of this scenario going on in other countries. I could name dozens. But now we're literally interfering directly in Russian-Ukraine discussions, but... Uh, all this is a violation of the Monroe uh, attempts or doctrine or understanding that's kind of the history and a little bit of a summary uh, what have I left out that's supercritical Scott
10: well I, I don't know I mean here I'll just give you a little quotation out of the Monroe Doctrine again it was James Monroe James Madison and John Quincy Adams were the principal authors of it <laughs> and here's a statement out of it in the wars of European powers in matters relating to themselves We have never taken any part, nor does it comport with our policy so to do. Our policy in regard to Europe is not to interfere with the internal concerns of any of its powers. Okay, so as you point out, that's a couple hundred years old. Uh, Not long before that, uh, John Quincy Adams, again son of John Adams, brilliant man raised by brilliant parents, became President of the United States and and, uh, then Congressman until the end of his life. At any rate, he has said, uh, and this was in 1821, he says, America has abstained from interference in the concerns of others, even when the conflict has been for principles to which she clings. She goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. She is the well-wisher to the freedom and independence of all. She is the champion and vindicator only of her own. Okay, so this has been the philosophy, and we can prove this, I mean, George Washington's uh, inaugural addresses, we have Thomas Jefferson, we have James Madison, we have James Monroe, we have these brilliant icons of the founding era that talked about this idea of no entangling alliances. Now, we can also say that, uh, I mean, there was a broader thing than that. St. George Tucker, for example, spoke eloquently against them. And, and we largely p- lived up to that until Woodrow Wilson came along with his globalist ideas and Edward Mandel House, who was his alter ego and basically the uh, uh, globalist in-house, in, in house, uh, globalist in-house, Edward Mandel House, anyway. Uh, so their efforts were to merge the United States into a global government. They sent a team in 1916 uh, to um, Europe to help put together, frame together, a what would ultimately be a treaty that would incorporate the uh, League of Nations, You know, treaties supposedly change constitutions. They can't. We can address that at length. But the League of Nations was to subvert the United States Constitution and the United States into a global government. So anyway, all of these things had happened, and it was rejected by the Senate, and along comes World War II, another run at global government, you know, with the fascists coming into power in the 1920s in Italy and and then later on in Germany in 1930s and then 1940s. And they started calling themselves, early in the 1940s, the United Nations. Uh, The Allies called themselves the United Nations against the Axis powers. So, afterwards, comes 1945, two communists were the principal, uh, shall we say, lead uh, negotiators. One was Alger Hiss, who was uh, Utah, Utah, United States State Department. And uh, him and a Russian became the chair of the committee that put the United Nations together. The United Nations Charter allows, allows hmm, it directs, uh, regional arrangements be put together. It really Those mandates. Region, well, yeah, a regional arrangement basically says, hey, look, you can organize into military arrangements, you can organize into um, economic arrangements like the European Union or like NATO, and, but every single, single thing that is done has to be for the purposes and with the approval of the United Nations so in 1949 april i believe it was uh, the united nations uh, regional arrangement arrangement called nato north atlantic treaty organization came into effect it became a military arm of the united nations and so it you know it had an er- initial group in it and we could go over those if you want but very foolishly very foolishly uh, we've we've actually expanded that in recent years Uh, To, for example, in 1999, the Senate approved uh, Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland, which were former Soviet Union satellites, if you will. And and now they've got, they've become a a NATO regional arrangement of the United Nations with their bayonets pointed towards Russia. Then, (laughs) this is completely bizarre, in 2003, I voted 96 to 0. They put Latvia, Estonia, Slovakia, Lithuania, Slovakia, excuse me, Slavonia, Bulgaria, and Romania into it. All former Soviet Union allies, and and then in two thousand nine, Albania and Croatia. Do you get a Do you get a pattern here going, people? In two thousand yeah, we've become the massive
1: hegemonous aggressor. That's what I get.
10: The, uh, NATO now, the regional arrangement of the United Nations. It's a military arm that virtually none of the wars that have been going on in my lifetime have not had a regional arrangement involved Montenegro was was invited in and approved in June of 2017 by the way you say oh well we're it's all a mutual defense kind of thing uh so if we get attacked they'll come and he- help us Montenegro go do the go go look this up check it out has a total potential military force of uh about 5000 that's including uh, the uh, reserves as well as the active duty people, okay? North Macedonia was was brought in in March of 2020. Mm, they probably have about an 18 or 19,000 total potential. They're going to be a bunch of help if we ever need them, trust me. So anyway, that's what it is. We are the loaded gun, the pointed bayonet, the F-35 jets. We are becoming the...
1: Iron Dome, if you will, over all the world. The Using belligerent this, hegemonist nation that has turned its back on the Monroe Doctrine and has now embraced these, uh, I would say, mandates via via United Nations uh, and NATO, etc. We have absolutely become the belligerent aggressor, and payback will not be fun, ladies and gentlemen. This will not go well long-term, Dr. Bradley. No. In fact, um, currently, the, the former... <sighs> Let's
10: call it Soviet satellites, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Georgia, Ukraine. You think about what the Bosnian conflict was, where we went in there and bombed the, the blazes out of uh, cities and everything else like that back in the 90s. Uh, people, this is happening with the United States being the, the pointed bayonet against all these things. Ukraine's been trying to join NATO for 15 years. They've got a membership action plan. We've seen that in action, Sam, when we were back there. Uh, and, and we're, you know, kind of getting a cook's tour, if you will, of some of the things that were going on in our capital city. But the, but the point of the matter is that that Russia is seeing this where all of these right up bumping up against their front door, if you will, of these nations have become aligned militarily with uh, the organization that was ostensibly formed to fight a war against Russia. And so if we've got tanks and artillery and aircraft and personnel amassed against their border, what would we do? What if Canada or Mexico allowed China or Russia or whomever to come in and build border forts, if you will, uh, air bases and military fields, do military operations against our border, knowing that we're the target of that? How tense would we be? I hope we'd be more tense. I don't know Biden would be. I'm not sure he understands any of this.
1: Well, but the fact shame that on, that on the here. direction we're taking, ladies and gentlemen. Read your supreme law of the land and understand Congress uh, is in charge of this realm. Understand the Monroe Doctrine was brilliant. Uh, the history, summary, and significance is not lost on us, but we've we betrayed it. We've turned our back on it. We've got to return to what made America great, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to switch gears to domestic in seconds with dr scott bradley
0: proclaiming liberty across the land you're listening to liberty news radio
2: usa radio news with lance Pry. nato
7: jets may be heading to ukraine Secretary of State Anthony Blinken told CNN that NATO members have the go-ahead to send fighter jets to Ukraine to help the country defend itself against
11: Russia's onslaught. We are uh, working with Poland as we speak to see if we can uh, backfill uh, anything that they provide to, uh, to the Ukrainians. We very much support them, providing uh, MiGs, Suze, uh planes that Ukrainians can fly.
7: A third round of peace talks are in the works for the combatants today. At least seven people are dead, two of them children, younger than five after multiple tornadoes swept across central and southwest Iowa this past weekend. Six of the fatalities came from the Madison County area just southwest of Des Moines. The National Weather Service received 42 reports of tornadoes in the south central and southwest portion of the Hawkeye State. The tornadoes were worse than forecasters predicted. USA Radio News.
12: Have you or someone you know used heartburn medications, Zantac or ranitidine, and been diagnosed with cancer? Zantac and renitidine have been positively linked to cancer. According to the FDA, Zantac and ranitidine contain NDMA, a known cancer-causing agent. NDMA has been positively linked to cancers of the bladder, pancreas, esophagus, liver, and stomach. Even in single doses and in smaller doses over time, NDMA is one of the strongest proven cancer-causing agents. Call 888-960-1233 or go to ZantacMoney.com you may be entitled to substantial compensation without going to court if you or a loved one have taken these products in the past 10 years and been diagnosed with cancer. Call now to see if you qualify for free. Call 888-960-1233 or visit ZantacMoney.com to get what may be owed to you. You may be entitled to a cash reward. Find out now at ZantacMoney.com or call 888-960-1233 to see if you qualify for
7: free. The will of the Ukrainian people is something President Putin may have miscalculated before invading Ukraine.
0: Senator Marco Rubio
11: says Russian President Vladimir Putin is engaged in a conflict he can't win.
0: He is now engaged in a conflict where he's either going to have a costly military victory, followed by a costly occupation that he can't afford, or he's going to get caught in a long-term military quagmire.
6: Appearing on CNN's State of the Union, the Florida Republican explaining that Putin will see an economic freefall on the home front, If one of two outcomes from his ongoing invasion of Ukraine happens from the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau, I'm Tim Berg.
7: A long line of semi trucks, recreational vehicles and cars were circling Washington, D.C. on Sunday. They're in town to protest and demand the end of all coronavirus pandemic related restrictions by the Biden administration. The people's convoy of around 1000 vehicles have said they plan to drive slowly around Washington, D.C. on the already congested beltway. We are USA Radio News
1: all right back with you live ladies and gentlemen we spoke of the evils of unjust war many a time on this broadcast so we're going to leave it for now but i'm telling you right now we shouldn't be turning our back on the monroe doctrine and we shouldn't be embracing nato and all these other psychotic viewpoints that really will create nothing but unjust war forevermore if we keep it up ladies and gentlemen there will be no extracting ourselves from it once we cross the Rubicon and sadly when when we're over 130 plus nations militarily speaking it's hard for me to think we haven't already crossed that Rubicon but prayers are for peace Uh, actions are to uh, bring about peace following the Monroe doctrine returning to the principles that make America great the Constitution realizing that Congress has a obligation a duty uh, to prevent us from getting into war and only going to war when it's absolutely necessary. Otherwise, reigning in the president, reigning in um, really this war aggression mentality, this uh, military-industrial complex, jettisoning any foreign entanglements that could uh, really draft us into unjust wars, really congressional obligations and responsibilities. we got to fire all of them and replace the- them with those who will... Get out of these unjust wars, ladies and gentlemen. But I digress. Let's go back to some domestic issues that I think are just as relevant. Uh, The headline says, Our last shot at creating change. Ladies and gentlemen, think about that. The last shot at creating change, they call it the People's Convoy, surrounds DC. This is how you protest safely and get your point across without burning things down. Joe Kovacs writes the article for World Net Daily, WND.com, and uh, in that article, they quote a bunch of people that are at this convoy now. They quote this one lady who uh, basically um, is riding with her husband in the truck, and they're in D.C. now, but they're not really in D.C. because they're in roundabout regions, if you will, 20, 30 miles away. The convoy is so large, they say it had to break up to go to different places Uh, What they've done is they've um, gone on the beltway and gone around the Capitol in a loop, if you will. And they say that they're going to increase the amount of loops they do, adding pressure to the, I don't know what word you want to call it, to the protest here. Uh, They say they're peaceful, they don't want to cause any trouble, but they do want Congress uh, to listen. They want to jettison the mandates and the belligerence that's going on. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe this is just a trucker protest. I don't believe it. I believe it's backed by those who mean ill for us. I don't believe that it will go well. I get the right to peacefully assemble. I understand that. But the only way they can increase pressure, in my opinion, is to violate principles uh, that I hold dear. So they don't have the right to make it difficult for somebody in Washington, D.C. to get to work. They don't have a right to lock down the, the highways and the byways of the freest country on the face of the earth. They don't have the right to do these things if you're not very careful. So, so far, they haven't breached anything but but they will or else they won't get their point across enough congress will just ignore them we have created an elite group of people that are above us that have secret combinations above us and they will not give up easily ladies and gentlemen so i appreciate the truckers plight the convoy agenda i get their right to peacefully assemble i know they're trying to move the needle i think there's good people involved there but i think they will in the end be betrayed i don't think this is the answer i don't think this is the solution Ladies and gentlemen, what you can't do is just protest, protest, protest. If you want to make a real difference, let's fire all 435 members of the House uh, come this election cycle. Let's jettison a third of the Senate and let's do it in state and counties across the country. Hey, all the bureaucrats that participated in any way in these lockdowns are gone. Okay, but protests just aren't going to do any good. Okay, All all that Congress has to do is act like they're listening, talk with a few leaders, make some deal, send the truckers home and they're done. I appreciate the attempt, but I think it's wrong-headed in terms of tactics. Just my two cents. Uh, Dr. Bradley, they're pitching this now literally as, listen carefully, our last shot at creating change, doctor.
10: Well, I hope and pray it's not our last shot at creating change. Amen. It needs a much broader change to happen. Uh, If you uh, took the time to... Listen to the State of the Union address that Biden put out here a week ago, and if you uh, listened to the Republican response to that, uh, you probably saw some very interesting things if you were thinking about it, uh, one of which was the absolute blandness of Biden's talk. It was uh, boilerplate um, drivel. He had nothing to claim as a success story, that he had um, only... Uh, rehashed uh, concepts that he's been pushing on that have been found to not have any traction. He has a failed administration. And I think what's dawned on the Democrats, and, and it should on the Republicans too, is that the approach that's been used is an absolutely rejected approach by the American people. But I think the Democrats are starting to see, miraculously, absolutely miraculously, they decided you didn't need to wear masks anymore just before the state of the union address i mean the people are so done with this COVID nonsense that's been two years of bizarre useless completely worthless um approach to things it hasn't diminished and in fact has made worse everything economically uh schools uh, the suicide rates the drug abuse rates the spousal abuse rates the businesses that have been shut down. I mean, you can go on and on and on about this kind of stuff. And and it's totally worthless. This guy named Fauci has kind of fallen off the radar lately. I think he's kind of fallen out of favor as being a, the greatest soundbite guy that ever existed. But but I think what happened was was Biden and, well, the, his handlers, because I'm not sure if Biden's astute enough and got enough cogent concepts to come up with this. But at any rate, uh, his his speech really was a, a bland rehashing of some things where they've walked away uh, from things that they know aren't going to really be able to move the needle on their behalf. They are worried about losing a huge share. In fact, certainly they'll lose their majority in the House and, and much of the Senate uh, that well, we can only throw out a third of the senators every two years. But the fact of the matter is, I think they're regrouping. And and if you watched the antics of the two people in back of Biden, Kamala and Nancy, um, you saw basically a leader leaderless group. I mean, Nancy's number three in line. I mean, after Kamala and after Joe, I mean, we had the three top potential leaders of the nation. If the 25th Amendment were implemented, it would be Kamala. And if she was removed for any number of reasons, that would make sense. I mean, she's unqualified to hold the job. And the Democrats even recognized that back in the primaries when they were first starting to argue about who might be their candidate. And then comes Pelosi. Did you see? She was like a sixth grader waiting for their first pony ride at their, or not a sixth grader, a six-year-old waiting for her first pony ride at a birthday party when she was acting up there we we I'm just appalled at how little um how little leadership exists in this country right now
1: there you have it and but i look at this though and i don't see this convoy going very well dr bradley i don't see what they can accomplish uh, with this kind I of a hope protest. it's better really than don't. what
10: you're saying i pray and hope i mean you you start thinking i mean uh, when you look at congress she will make no law abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's what they're trying to do. That's the intended purpose of this. And, and, you, I, and I, by the way, i will be the first to say they
1: have every right to do this, and I think that their cause is just. But I'm telling but you, that it's going to go off the rails. There are likelier provocateurs
10: that are involved in this. And what I have found in these kinds of things is very likely is as well what we've had an historical perspective on is that the most vulnerable are the ones that the snap first they're the ones that feel like all their options are out and, and there is no way other than than a violent overthrow or a, or some kind of you know trigger point and and uh, edmund burke saw this and in, in, back in 1777 where he You know, he was an advocate for the U.S., well, you know, the American cause in Parliament, clear back in 1777. He says, people crushed by law have no hopes but from power. If law is the enemy, they will be enemies to laws. And those who have much to hope and nothing to lose will always be dangerous. And so therein is the problem is that I think the most vulnerable will probably if there's something that snaps, the prov- provocateurs can um, can take advantage of, of some frustration they have. But but literally and truthfully, the approach that's being used, the intention of those that are there, I believe is fully within the First Amendment. But the fact of the matter is that because of... And provocateurs are all along the line. I mean, the, you look at the Reichstadt fire from February of 1933. Uh, that prov- provoked the, the Nazi regime to basically give all power to Hitler, take away all civil rights, and basically set themselves as up ultimately as an armed camp against the world. But but those that are in power will try to do this. But I have seen the Democrats... Let me ask a question.
1: Who speaks for the People's Convoy, ladies and gentlemen, if they get a sit-down with Congress or a sit-down with anybody uh, to call this, make this change? Who's going to be representing the, quote, People's Convoy. Do you even know? Liberty Roundtable Live.
11: and have some kids.
0: Promoting God, family, and country. You are listening to Liberty Roundtable Radio.
1: All right, final segment with Dr. Bradley this hour, ladies and gentlemen. So our last shot at creating change, some are claiming. The People's Convoy surrounds D.C. now. They say this is how you protest safely and get our point across, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that's true. They say without burning things down. Well, I certainly agree. We don't want to burn things down, and I agree that their intentions are peaceful, and I actually think the leaders of it might be great people. All right. The U.S. version of the, quote, People's Convoy is being run by a group called Freedom Fighter Nation. Do you know what Freedom Fighter Nation is? Do you know who runs it? you know where they get their money? Well, you better start finding things out like that. But it's led by Lee Dundas. And Lee has been really an outspoken advocate against vaccines. She's an attorney from California. She's been on this radio program several times. I really like her. I think she's a great person. But who is Freedom Fighter Nation? And who will infiltrate this organization as well-meaning as it might be? And who will be the one to really, if we get to sit down with, say, Joe Biden or Kamala or maybe some leaders of Congress or, in other words, if this becomes a stalemate where Congress is ready to listen or government's ready to pay attention, okay, who's going to be the advocate? What are they going to agree to? What are they going to? And my problem is that, you know what, it reminds me a little bit of a constitutional convention. If you're not very careful, we're represented by Well, those who claim they're the Keep People's Convoy, but represented by who for what, what will their agenda really be? What will they agree to? What will the outcome be? I mean, I pray for a great outcome, but even if we get a great outcome, I think it'll be short-lived indeed, because you can't continue to add pressure, add pressure, add pressure, force and get your way. At what point does it become forced? At what point is it more of a problem than good? Dr. Bradley, these are heavy Weighted matters, but I think it's important to ask these questions.
10: I, I agree with you. It is important, and, and I'm very concerned about uh, an aspect that I believe um, I, I always say something like an uninformed vote is more dangerous than a no vote or, or not casting your vote. OK, because with an uninformed vote, you have a 50 percent chance of voting the wrong direction and facilitating the destruction of whatever you... And you really have
1: maybe. more than a 50% chance because you have literally providers <sighs> and facilitators and consensus builders and everything else moving you towards something that you're not even aware of is happening, Dr. Bradley. But,
10: but here's, here's the thing. We must educate ourselves as to the founding principles. And we, we must be able to have a pathway to basically restore what was there. Now, we have a well-defined pathway. All of the, the things that made this a, nation, what made it, as I always say, the greatest, freest, strongest, most happy, most respected nation on earth, We we can know those things, but almost nobody does. And that's because of our government indoctrination schools and our media centers and our politicians that are pandering to, you know, the, the democracy, if you will, that they're trying to promote. And and so we need a core group of people that understand governance according to the tradition that was established when this nation was, was brought about. And that's far too thin right now. And, and we need more friends of principle instead of individuals that are reactive, that are revolutionary, if you will, in the sense that... We don't want a French Revolution to happen here where the uh, the Illuminati and all of its um, shills become, you know, the moving force and it becomes a, a bloodbath of, of tyranny that ultimately results in another form of tyranny when Napoleon stepped in. The people wanted somebody to save themselves from themselves. And so without understanding and just shuffling about you know moving the players on the board we're not going to really do anything good and uh, sadly i'm i'm of the opinion that most of those that currently hold office are not qualified and uh, and those who are
1: going up to negotiate this on our behalf and let me give you the biggest reason that this convoy concerns me the people's convoy i you know a lot of people are ready to praise it and applaud it and you know i pray like you that that it goes well but dr bradley if you think you're going to solve the problems in america in washington dc by temporarily going there, you are fooling yourself. You can only save the country by sincere repentance, turning to the God of of all of us, our Father in Heaven, uh, His Son Jesus Christ, turning to the atonement, turning to the Author of Liberty. Okay, it's not going to be solved in D.C. by a temporary presence of those who are, for the most part, unknown. Okay, you're not going to solve the country's problems that way. And so you know rundown. what, even if Even if they have the great intentions, the the greatest of intentions, that isn't the way that you fix a nation. It never has been and never will be. You ride in temporarily on your horse or your semi or wherever and think you're going to mandate change and then the the enemies of liberty are just going to cave and listen to you? It's never happened before, doctor. And I don't believe it'll happen now. So I believe that the efforts are wrong in their tactics. Going to Washington, D.C. doesn't fix anything. I could go there tomorrow. What good would it do? I'll leave in a month or leave in two weeks, and I'll either leave and not accomplish the task or there'll be a confrontation that'll go wrong. All I'm telling you is this is not the way we bring back America. Uh, Am I wrong on this? Well, the people are
10: unknown that you're talking about there, but they're also unknowing, largely. (laughs) I think that they've far too narrowly defined uh, the challenge, the problems. I mean, you know, masks. Come on. Vaccine mandates. Come on. These are these are symptoms of a broken society that is run by broken people that claim to be our leaders. And and if you got everybody in their dog. And again, I, I really think it's already moving this way right now because the, the uh, administration is saying, golly, we can't win if we keep pushing masks. Let's let's back them off. Let's let's take them off for the. Uh, State of the Union address, and let, let's uh, you know everybody across the country is doing it, and and maybe the the truckers will say, "See, we won," but no, it's it's just a symptom, the broadness of the the falsehoods. I mean, you look at the trillions of dollars that have been pumped into this country by printing presses, if you will, and and are destroying the economy from the inside out. You look at all the trends and everything else that's that's going on economically. You look at our, our efforts to march off to war unconstitutionally. You, you look at issues like abortion that seems to still be, you know, a specter in the wind, if you will. You look at the redistribution of wealth so, so through socialistic welfare programs. It's much broader than masks and, and vaccines or it's it's epidemic. It is truly an epidemic. And it's much broader than going government. down
1: to your school board and protesting because they're teaching communist principles in the compulsory education system that Republicans swore to abolish for literally decades. Okay, this is what I mean. Going to your school board and being called a terrorist is not going to help you, ladies and gentlemen, unless you change the fundamentals of what's going on. Let me give you a final story before the end of the hour that I think kind of typifies the wrongheadedness of my point. Headline says this. The um, So Long Offering Plate. Yeah, So Long Offering Plate. Hello, online cryptocurrency giving. Churches find new ways to receive donations. Article written by a guy by the name of Craig Harris. Yeah, you know, believe it or not, the digital giving, if you will, the crypto giving became more mainstream during the COVID pandemic. Church leaders simply say they're making it easier for the youngsters who are, crypto rich to go ahead and donate to the church yeah we're just trying to keep up with the people yeah we want to be accommodating cryptocurrency is becoming more popular and churches want to get a piece of it dr Bradley your thoughts holy cow I mean where do we
10: where do we go with this do we talk about the the risks of cryptocurrency and how uh, they're, in my not- mind, we
1: talk about the churches being on the take here. They're not really even interested in the humble uh, local, you know, support of the church. Now they're hoping to get big cash from cryptocurrency givers, if you will. Okay, well, they're all tragic- moving to cryptocurrency. It, it's uh, really akin to gambling in this world. It's chasing the. There's gold in them hills, doctor.
10: Well, that that's a big part of the problem, is that so much of what happens in the name of religion is, is sep- simply an economic decision. Follow the money. Uh, we call it priestcraft, where, and it isn't just in religions. It's in business. It's in the economics of the, of the universities and everything else, where they seek for popularity, and they seek to feather their own nest. And sadly, this is probably another manifestation of it. I mean... Uh, if religions are in it for the money and for the uh, the benefit, oh yeah, we got to have money to send missionaries or build buildings or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, the humble followers of Christ in the beginning worlds. I mean, think of the the fisherman, Peter and his brethren that that uh, led the church. Think of the Savior walking the dusty paths of of uh, Palestine, and and you you have such a contrast to some of the mega churches and the economic powerhouses that have developed in his name. And and by the way, the Founding Fathers had a lot of grief with that. I mean, if you've read the uh, letters between uh, uh, J- John Adams and Thomas Jefferson towards the end of their lives, they were very concerned with what religions had done in the name of the Savior. Uh, George Washington was concerned about it. These kinds of things, I think, are... They're almost a precursor to the failure of, of religion. At least these big mega religions, and certainly a nation, that has put their trust in, in uh, economics rather than than eternal principles. So yeah, it's it's a big concern. And, and to tell you the truth, I don't have any cryptocurrencies to donate to anybody, and I would like to serve my savior in any way he'd want. But it's it's something that sadly, many religions are seeing an opportunity to make, it's not a buck anymore, it's whatever they call the currency. But uh, I, but by the way, I see economic things happening, and this is a little transition back to what we started with, this uh, st- thing that Russia and China are involved in and the, the credit cards that China is putting out. It will strengthen those, for example, at the, at the weakening of, of MasterCard and Visa and so on. All of this economic stuff seems to dry, drive so much of what's going on and it's just tragic that religion's get well, involved Well, and you got to ask
1: this. the question that these religious groups start to take money from cryptocurrencies pretty soon. You don't really know where your money's coming from at all. Remember, these transactions are supposed to be yeah, – or where it's going. Good point. And so you kind of get this scenario where, wow, man, you can just control things without any accountability. Uh, the churches will be beholden to groups they know not. To me, this is disaster on steroids for the church if we're not very, very careful indeed.
10: Well, many churches, it seems to me, are involved in a beauty contest as to who's going to be the Church of the World Order, and they seem to be fostering and and, uh, encouraging some kind of coziness with the global powers, and and it's just a, we're looking to the wrong places for saviors and the wrong altar to worship at, and we've got to be very, very careful. The churches do as well as the people that are parts of those churches.
1: Amen to that reality check. Sadly, we're out of time, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very weighty topics indeed on your radio. Pray for peace. Do your very best to understand the principles. Advocate for belief in and allegiance to even Jesus Christ, the author of our lives and our liberty. Thanks so much, Dr. Bradley. LibertyRoundTable.com, LovingLiberty.net, freedomsrisingsun.com. We declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America.